God, you're, uh, you're worthy of our attention. You're worthy of our devotion. You're worthy of our lives. So God, I pray that in this time you would help us to give you, um, to give you the due that you're worth, to give you our minds and our hearts and our ears. Help us to focus in and, and, and really submit and, and listen to your word and to, uh, to what you've revealed about yourself, about Christ, and about how we're to respond uh, according to the passages that we're going to look at. God, would you fix our eyes on your son, Jesus Christ, as the Savior and as the hero and as the healer and the Lord that we need to look to by faith, the one that we can turn to for comfort, or the one we turn to for hope. God, I pray in this time that you would take these concepts, God, about uh, the church, about the uh, collection of broken sinners united and redeemed by Christ, God, that you would take these truths and you would drive them home deep into our minds and our hearts and that we would be transformed by them to live in a way that you've called us to live and to live in a way that also leads us to flourish and leads us to love one another and leads us to care for one another and leads us to live out Jesus' mission in the city. God, please come and help us by your spirit. We can't do any of that work on our own, but are completely dependent on you. So please come, lift up Christ, glorify yourself, encourage us, uh, challenge us, shape us, transform us to be more like Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. So, um... In the, in the 1970s, I've been reading about this recently. Um, in the 1970s, there's a, 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 a researcher um, named John Bowlby who pioneered this study of uh, early, uh, early attachment. And basically, uh, what he, what he kind of pioneered in his study was this, uh, this concept of early attachment, which is how uh, children attach to their parents and caregivers early in life. And one of the profound things that, that he pioneered in his study was that the basic patterns of attaching relationally, even as early as a, a very small infant, set and shape the way people attach in relationships years and years down the line as they progress as adults. And what he does is he actually defines, I think it's about four categories. Um, you can have stable attachment, you can have uh, unstable attachment, um, you can have unreliable attachment, and you can kind of have just like a mix of both. And he says the, the, ways, uh, the ways that somebody feels that attachment early on shapes them profoundly through their whole life. Um, and I, I know this experientially just from my friends that have, that have, uh, that have adopted children um, from, from uh, all around the world where their, their kids are in an orphanage and the, the, the kids are, you know, one of like 50 kids in a room. And so they cry all the time, but nobody responds. So they stop crying. And then uh, two years later, uh, when, when, when some, you know, God willing, they get adopted and are placed into, into, a, into a home and all those things, there, there's just this curve of attaching that has to be taught. Because it wasn't there at the very beginning. And so Bowlby has this, this whole idea of how early attachment shapes our relationships and the way that we act even later in life for, for the whole trajectory of our life. And so I was reading this and thinking about it. It really goes back to this fundamental idea that we know um, in terms of psychology. We know it in terms of scripture. It's just that, that as human beings, we need commitment. We need care. And we need affection. 
Like we, we need to know that we're desired, right? You can go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We can go all sorts of places to know that we need commitment, we need care, we need affection, we need to know that we're desired, we need to know that somebody is for us, right? And these aren't just for desires that we need as infants, these are desires we need every single day. As we think about this idea, um, I want to challenge you, right? How has your life been shaped by commitments made to you, commitments broken, feeling desired or feeling undesired, feeling like people are for you or people feeling like people are against you? I can remember um, being 12 um, and getting a, a voicemail. This was at, when we had, at, at a point in time where you had phones in your home, like stationary phones in your home. I remember being 12 and getting a, a, a voicemail on the phone that was stationary in our home and hearing it and being so excited because it was one of my baseball coaches, Coach Sean, who was like one of the cool coaches because he was, uh, he was like in his early 20s, which to like a 12-year-old is like the coolest person ever. Uh, so as Coach Sean left me a voicemail. And in this voicemail, he said, hey, Claude, I just wanted to call you, call your mom. I think you got a lot of potential um, to play like in high school and do really well in baseball. And um, I, I want you and a couple of guys uh, to work out with me this summer. And I want to give some time every weekend to train you guys and kind of invest in you guys and put you through drills this summer so you can be ready to play play in high school and play at the next level in eighth grade. So I got this message and what was my reaction? I was stoked. I was stoked for two reasons. One, because if you would have seen me play baseball the season before, you would have asked, why is that 12-year-old crying every game when he strikes out? So I spent most of my baseball season in seventh grade crying. So, so to have somebody be like, you have promise was incredible. And two, I've never met my dad. My dad was not in my home. He wasn't there to play basketball with me. He wasn't there to play baseball with me. So to have Coach Sean not only say, hey, you got promise. I want to work with you. But then to also say, hey, I want to commit myself to you. I want to give my time to you. I want to invest in you. I want to care for you. I was just, I was hyped. I was so excited. What happened was I never heard back from him again. No response, no follow-up, no follow-through. Right? And going back to Bowlby, this is broken attachment. This is relationship fractured. This is pain. This is being turned, having your back turned on you. This is being undercut. This is being disappointed. This is saying, hey, I'm going to commit to you, but not really. And I wonder, how have you felt that in your own life? How have you been shaped by those type of things? How have you been impacted in those ways? See, the thing for me, if Coach Sean comes through, right, even if he comes through, it's limited because what I'm looking for is more than baseball help. I'm looking for more than just a dad. I'm looking for, age, Claude at age 12 is looking to be adored, looking to be known, looking to be loved. And as we actually continue our, 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 our church, our series on the church, uh, ecclesiology, the theology of the church, the theology of, of the broken group of people that God has mercy on uh, from all nations, multitudes of people, the church. As we look at this, there's one word, there's one word that's a massive concept that when we get this, all of our broken commitments and relational dysfunction begins to be healed because we find in God what we don't have anywhere else or what is promised to us elsewhere but falls apart or is broken. And, and, the, and the key idea that, that we need to see is this idea of covenant. Is that if we understand the gospel, in particular, its covenant nature of love, 
this, this covenant from God to a broken people. When we start to get this, we start to know that we are deeply desired, we are deeply loved, we have deep fulfillment. And those broken relational dynamics that we have and we carry scars from begin to become healed. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to uh, unpack this concept of covenant. So uh, to get to get this, first I want to I want to give it a, a definition um, of covenant, and then we're going to turn to a, a number of texts. Um, one one definition. I'm going to give you the theological definition. I'm going to give you the, the simple quad definition. Um, the theological definition is the covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man, where God sets the terms and the conditions between Him and uh, the others. <laughs> Here's my definition. You guys ready for this one? It's a relationship with rules. Which one do you like better? You're like, we don't like any of them. Well, those, those are the options we have. Relationship with rules, right? The, the, the rules don't, don't make the relationship. There's a relationship initiated by God. God gives promises. He initiates something between him and other parties. But then he puts rules or parameters around it, this idea of, of a covenant. And, and what's incredible about covenant, right? We're talking about commitment. We're talking about being desired. We're talking about relationship. What's incredible about covenants, when God gives these covenants, these, these kind of agreements, what he does is he puts himself under obligations to us. So think, think of it. God puts himself under an obligation to me. God puts himself under an obligation to you. I don't know if you've ever had a, known that you kind of have an IOU in your pocket for a friend and just how good that feels, right? And kind of in a wrong way. How good it feels to basically be like, I know this person owes me something. Like, I, I, you know, you know, a couple people being honest, right? The smile, right? But think of this. God puts himself under obligation to us. That's what he's doing in a covenant. There's rules around it, but he's basically, he's the one who's putting himself out there and saying, hey, I'm going to do this for you. Right? Here, here are some examples. Um, what a slide for, uh, for, this, uh, for this next one. A couple of examples. These aren't our main text, but a couple I want to show. Um, Genesis um, 9-11, God says to Noah, I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. He's making an agreement. He's saying, hey, I'm putting myself under this obligation to you. I care. He says this in Genesis 17 to Abraham, who is a, a, a chronic liar, nomadic farmer, who's just kind of a mess. Um, he says, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. He says to, to Abraham, God says, I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And then to Moses God says, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been wrought in all the earth. This is God putting himself under obligation to us. He's putting himself under a promise to us. And here's the main text that I, that I want us to see. And when we see this, we're one, going to get a deep, deep understanding of what is the church and why does this really matter? And then we're also going to see how all of our broken relational dynamics of wanting to be committed to, wanting to be desired, wanting to be affirmed, all of these things we have within the gospel where God gives us this covenant binding love. We're going to look at uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Uh, where God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to God's people who are in the middle of, of trying, to re- trying to run away and rebel, trying to obey. They're, they're just a mess. And into this, God uh, declares through Jeremiah this promise of, of, of a day coming that, that we get to see uh, fulfilled in part. Thirty-one, thirty-one of Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So two sections of, of God's people, Israel. 
not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So here's what God is doing in this passage to, 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 to clarify and make sense. This may be a very familiar passage to you. It's maybe one you've just heard for the first time uh, 10 seconds ago. Um, either way, this is, this is key and a couple, a couple things we need to see in it. What God is doing here is God is promising through Jeremiah that he's going to set up a new covenant. And a new, this new covenant he's saying is I'm going to set up uh, this special relationship with my people. Right. Remember, a covenant is a relationship with rules or it is a, a legally binding agreement between God and man. Right. Um, what God is saying is I'm going to set up a new binding relationship, a special relationship between me and you. And this is what he promises in this relationship. Look at 33. He says this. He says in this relationship, we're going to know him intimately. He's going to put his law within us. He's going to do something on the inside of us. He's going to do something on the heart level regarding us. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. Look at the intimacy here. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Saying, I'm going to bring you into a special, unique relationship with me. Notice what he also says in 34. That this will happen from the least to the greatest. This isn't just something for the elite. This isn't just something for the devoted. This isn't just something for the know-it-alls. This isn't just something for the special. This is going to the whole gamut of all different types and ranges of people. And then look at the whole basis, the whole foundation of what God is saying here, this, this new binding special relationship. He says it in 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. What he's saying there, he's going to wipe away our record of wrongs. He's going to wipe away our record of mistakes against him, wipe away our record of sins against him. He's going to remember them no more as if they never existed. That's what he's going to do. And that's going to be the foundation of this new relationship between us and him. Now, if you're, if you're, uh, if, if you're clever, you're thinking oh, well through this passage, you may be asking this question. Well, why do we need a new covenant? Why does he need to do new stuff to set up this relationship in the first place? Right? You notice what he says in, in 32, right? He says, I'm going to set up something new that's not like the one that you messed up. Right? So this is, this is what we have. He, sa- he says this, uh, not like the covenant that I made with your father's that you broke, though I was your husband. What God is referring to there is he's referring to this old covenant, this first covenant he set up between himself and the people of Israel when he pulled them out of slavery in Egypt. This is the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. That was when God founded this nation, but they broke that covenant. They broke the rules tied to that relationship. They ran to other gods. They lived their own way. They did what was right in their own eyes. They broke this covenant, and God says even this about them. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's what God says about this, this old relationship that he had with the nation of Israel. And so God's remedy for this, right, when all others would wipe their hands clean, would say, hey, you're not my people anymore. You can receive the judgment you deserve. You can receive the accountability you, re- you deserve. When, when others would just wipe their hands clean of people who had rebelled and turned against them, God says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to establish a new covenant. 
That's not just to this old group, but it's for the whole world, for all who would receive it. And this new covenant is going to be better than the old one because in this new one, there's actually going to be a change of heart that's going to make people from the heart love God, love one another. That we're under the old covenant, God's people were kind of like a a horse having to be dragged along um, by food or a carrot. It's kind of like, hey, come this way, come this way, obey, 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 obey. But what God says here is that he's going to do something different. He's going to put his law within our hearts. He's going to bring a change on the inside so dramatic that no longer will his people have to be strung along with a carrot. But actually from the heart, they're going to begin to love God, desire God, and love to love God's law and love to love God's people and others put around them. That under this new covenant, a dramatic change is going to happen. And one of the dramatic changes is this special relationship and access. We get to be his people. He becomes our God. Now, I want you to think about this special relationship, special access, this exclusivity. I want you to imagine this. Imagine, think of the artist that you like or the performance that you like or, or, or whatever event that you like, concert, something like that. Imagine you find out your friend has tickets to that and they say, hey, I want to take you. You get to the venue. You're excited. You're just excited to be there. So you're like, man, even if we're sitting in the back, I'm excited. Like, I'm excited to be here, right? So you get there and you're kind of in the back. You're like, this is great. And your friend's like, no, 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 come closer. So you go from like the far, what's the back called? The mezzanine? Is that usually the mezzanine? Is that the top? Where are my concert people? Yeah. It's like the top. So you start at the mezzanine. You're like, this is great. I'm here. Right? And they're like, no, no, no. Let's come a little bit closer. So you get to like the next section. Like, wow, this is even better. Like, how did you hook this up? How did you get this? And they're like, no, no, no. You wait. Let's get a little closer. And it's crowded, so it's taking you a while. You get to the next stage. You're kind of like in the general admission down on the floor. And you're like, all right. Like this? Like, we got this. And they're like, no, no, no. Keep coming. Like, I got more. They take you closer and closer and closer and closer. And they get you to the front of the stage. And it's the best show you've ever seen. And then after, they're like, come with me. You're like, come where? Like, no, come with me. And you go. They take you backstage, and it's you and the artist. If your friend was able to pull that off, one, you're going to be stoked out of your mind. One of your best nights ever. But then afterwards, you're going to ask this question. How did you pull that off? Like, how did you get that type of access? Not only for yourself, but how did you get that for me? Because I know you didn't pay for it. What did you do to get me that type of access? And if we really understand Jeremiah 31, what it's saying there, you have to ask the question, how is it that God wants to have this type of special relationship with me, with his people? How is it that we get these benefits of a covenant relationship where God says, you are going to be my people and I'm going to actually be so intimate with you that I'm going to put my law within your heart. I'm going to change your heart and I'm going to draw close to you. Not only that, all your wrongs that you've done against me personally, I'm going to wipe them away as if they never even happened. The question that has to be asked is, how do we get that special access and those special privileges? How is it possible for God to do that for us? Right? Because we, we, have, to, we have to understand this, right? The wrongs that we do are real. The sins that we commit are real. You may not call sin, sin, right? But you know what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, one, one, one writer calls sin this the human proclivity to mess things up, except he uses a different word for mess that I will not use here. But he says it's just the human proclivity to ruin things. 
We know that. We experience that. And what, the, what Christianity teaches is that while we do that against other people, underneath that, that's primarily against God the Creator because He made those other people and He loves those other people. And so we know that our sins are real. We know that our sins hurt. We see the scars and consequences of the sins that we've committed and the wrongs that we've done. How is it that God can actually wipe them away as if they, were, they never existed when we actually see the effects of them in our relationships still? Right? If you're married, you see the effects of your sins in your marriage, even after your spouse may say, hey, I forgive you, you still see the effects of that biting comment, right? How is it that these things can be wiped away when the effects are still there? How do we get the privileges of Jeremiah 31 when our sins are real and our baggage is there and the effects matter? Well, we turn to the, the hero of the story. We turn to Jesus because Jesus teaches that he himself is the door through which we get this covenant relationship, through which we get this special relationship with God. He teaches us actually in a, a number of places, but one in particular, Luke 22, when he's explaining and defining the Lord's Supper or communion, he says this, taking it, he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What Jesus is doing is he's drawing on Jeremiah 31. He's drawing on, on, on all of this, 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 this concept and this language. And what he's saying is, is that we get these privileges, we get this access, we get this intimacy with God. We enter into special relationship with our creator through the sacrifice of Jesus. That the way our sins, which have real consequences, affects the way that they're seen as never existing, the way that they're wiped away from, from our slate is because Jesus is the one who wipes them away. Jesus wipes them away by his payment. Jesus wipes them away by his sacrifice. Jesus wipes them away by taking our condemnation for them in our place. That's how we get access into this new covenant. One of the most basic examples of this is just understanding uh, the concept of forgiveness in the scriptures. That if you go to somebody's home and you break something, right, you break a lamp or you, or you break something nice. One of the basic concepts to understand that this nature of, 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 a, of an atonement being needed is understanding you go to someone's house, you break something, and they say, hey, don't worry about it. They, they have two options. They can either make you replace it or they can say, don't worry about it. But they're going to need to replace that at some point if they want to see things, right? So, so they're either going to make you pay for it. Or guess what? They're going to go buy a new what? Car. No, not car. Lamp, right? They're going to buy a lamp, okay? You guys, can, you guys are a little, a little sleepy. They're going to go get a new lamp, right? So either way, what's having, to be, what's having to happen? Either way, some type of payment is having to happen. They're either going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. Something's broken. It needs to be fixed. A payment needs to happen. Right? And when we think about Jeremiah 31 and entering the covenant relationship, something has to happen to, to wipe away the wrongs that we've done. And what God says is, I'm not going to put this on you. I'm going to put it on myself in Christ. It's the gift that he gives us in the gospel. Right? Sounds like a sweet deal for us. Sounds like a short end of the stick for Jesus, right? If we're going to be honest. But what we, what we also need to understand is that within the gospel, and when you get this, the, the, the broken uh, relational dynamics or the hurts that you have of being disappointed by your version of Coach Sean, they begin to be mended by Jesus. Because what's happening within the gospel 
is not just as if the son, Jesus, is, is being sent to do a work that he has no interest in doing, but actually within the gospel, there's a covenant between God the Father and God the Son. There's actually an agreement between God the Father and God the Son, which says, we love this humanity so much that let's make this plan to go and get them. We, we actually see this, um, Jesus describes it this way in John 6. Um, he says he's the bread of life. And then he says in John six thirty eight, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is saying a lot of things there, but at uh, in particular relevance to Jeremiah 31, Jesus is saying that there's been a plan between him and God the Father to come and bring redemption and salvation to us, to come and bring grace to us. That this isn't a haphazard thing that's happened, but this is part of God's orchestrated plan to come and redeem us, that God has covenanted with his son to not see you go under uh, judgment and condemnation, but see you enter into life and salvation. Jesus says this in, in Luke 22. Uh, he says, my father has assigned to me a kingdom, a people. That language, uh, that, that term assigned is actually where we get part of the word covenant. Jesus is again showing this idea that there's a covenant between him and God the father to come and bring grace to you. That their plan is to come and bring mercy and goodness to you. So we become this group of broken, sinful people who've received grace and are being redeemed by Jesus through the work of Jesus. This is how the church happens, right? This is why Jeremiah 31 says uh, he, will call, he will be our God and we will be his people. The passage we looked at a couple weeks earlier, 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What all of these texts are showing us they're showing us this idea. They're showing us that there's a vertical dynamic of covenant between God and a broken humanity that through the gospel, we become in, uh, in relationship with God in a unique and special way. That there is a vertical dynamic that restores us back to God in a special covenant relationship. And here's what I want you to see about this. You'll be wondering, what does this matter for me? Like, why does this matter? Well, here's why this matters, right? A covenant relationship means that you're actually desired. A covenant relationship means that you, not just the person next to you, it means you are desired. That somebody is for you. Somebody is committed to you. Somebody desires you. Somebody has done a hard work of seeking after you. That's what this means. Right? I, I, want, you to, I want you to understand this. The, the, this. This gospel, this covenant aspect of the gospel means that God has bent heaven and earth to come down and bring you into a relationship with him. To know you intimately as a friend. And once that starts to begin clicking and once that starts to take root, the wounds from your coat, your version of Coach Sean begin to be redeemed. They start to be healed. 
You start to see them as painful as they are, but even bigger than that, you start to see this desire, this commitment, this love from God to you, evidenced by the sacrifice of his son. That God is so committed to you that he laid out his son to be condemned in our place. So covenant has much to do with how we view ourselves, our relational dynamics, and how we think we are desirable or how we think we're undesirable. The gospel changes all of that. And what's beautiful about this relationship is this is a covenant relationship, not a contractual relationship. Right? This is a covenant, right? Covenant relationship, not a contract relationship, right? He, he, and, and really, here's the difference. This is often used to illustrate this point, but I think it's really helpful, right? Think of what you hear at weddings, right? You hear weddings, you hear beautiful vows, right? It's kind of the centerpiece, and they give, they give the, the end kind of phrase clause until death do us part, right? They never say until, uh, like, I'm going to do all of these things unless you start being annoying, right? That, that's, that's never what's said at a wedding. And if you've ever heard that at a wedding, like, just run and grab the people and like run, let's just get everybody out of there, right? It's never that, right? They, they don't do that. that. That's not the nature of it, right? But, but think of on the flip side, think of like, um, how many of you, how many of you are RCN? How many of you Comcast? Be honest. What's RCN? Some, com- oh, some Comcast. Yeah, you guys are crazy. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, someone's like, what's RCN? Um, right? It's talking about cable. Like who? CNN? Um, so New England, CNN, RCN, um, right? So, so your, your cable company or your cell phone or, or whatever it is, right? Just think of that. that. That's a contract, right? As soon as you stop paying, what are you going to get from them? Nothing. Nothing. And you're going to get letters. You're going to get notices. You're going to get hounded, right? Right? Think of what happens in a covenant relationship. You stop showing up, right, to, to something or, or, or you just kind of go MIA, right? If you're in a covenant friendship with somebody, right, they're, they're not going to just like, they're going to come care for you. We'll say, hey, you, you, you haven't been around. You okay? Right? If you stop paying your bill to RCM, they're not going to call you. Hey, you okay? Everything all right? They're probably happy. Like, yes, double interest. Like, send it to collections. Like, they're like, yes, we won. Right? That's, that, that's a contract. Right? That's a contract. That's the difference between a covenant and a contract. And what God has entered us into is a covenant relationship, not a contract relationship. Right? There's no contract in the gospel. There is no, hey, keep being good and I will keep doing my end of the bargain. That's not what the gospel is. That's not what Jeremiah 31 says. Jeremiah 31 actually has almost nothing about what we do. has everything about what God is doing for us. He's putting himself under promises to us. That's what covenant means. Now, there's rules that are attached to it for us, but those rules don't get us the relationship or get us benefits. Those rules come out of the relationship and come out of the benefits. So if the gospel said, obey God, then you're loved, and when you fail to obey God, you're not loved anymore, it would be a contract. And it would be a horrible contract. And I would urge you and myself to run away from it. But the gospel is the opposite of that. The gospel is Christ has done all of this saving work for us upon the cross through his atonement. And through that in his resurrection, now we're brought into a right special relationship with God as his covenant people and his sons and daughters. And there's ways to live that are attached to that. There's rules that are attached to that. But those rules and those ways to live do not become the foundation of our acceptance. We're in special covenant. So the question that begs asking out of this is, is your relationship with God rooted in a true understanding of the gospel and its covenantal nature? Or is your relationship with God like a contract? 
where you feel like he's against you when you mess up and he's for you when you do well. And you got, you got to keep paying the bills. You got to keep doing the dues to keep the benefits up and to keep his smile going. Or have you deeply understood and do you deeply live under the covenant nature of the gospel where God has rooted this special relationship between you and him, between his people and him through the work of Jesus, not your own work? Do you understand the vertical dynamics of the covenant in the gospel? And from this, what happens is this vertical dynamic of, of, uh, of God bringing us in a special relationship with him through the gospel, it then flows out in horizontal relationship. It, it, it begins to flow out. And what it flows out to in horizontal relationship is that it creates this group of people called the church. It creates this worldwide collection of ragtag people called the church who have all been redeemed uh, by, by this gracious God. Right, and that's why the Bible uses this language that, that the church is members of one body, a family, a temple, a household of God. And what this shows us, shows us is we don't only enter into special relationship with God through the gospel. We enter into a new way of loving all people. And we enter into particularly a new way of loving uh, one another as believers in Jesus. That we enter into a family dynamic, a family relationship. That's why one of the languages for salvation is adoption. And one of the languages for the church is family. Right? You see you guys you see that? Adoption family. That just come together perfectly. Right? That's one of the dynamics of the gospel. So you have this vertical covenant that brings us in the special relationship with God. And then you have this horizontal covenant that now puts all of you into family together through the gospel. Puts you into a new way of relating to one another in the gospel. This is why in the New Testament you see about one hundred one another commands. Uh, about 47 of that 100 are about loving one another in the collection of, uh, of, of covenant community known as the church. That, that this is such a big deal that half of the one another commands are rooted in the church and how we're supposed to love one another within this community. Like that, that's how serious and how big this dynamic of being a covenant community out of covenant with God becomes. So here, here are some of the commands. You ready? Love one another. Probably could guess that one. Serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, build trust with one another, be devoted to one another, be patient with one another, be interested in one another, be accountable to one another, confess to one another, live in harmony with one another, don't be conceited. I'm just going to start saying the phrase. I'm getting tired of hearing myself say one another. Don't pass a judgment. You guys get the point, right? But just do the little two dots. That means you repeat the line. Okay. Don't slander. Instruct. Greet. You guys did great with that today. Admonish. Spur on. Meet with. Agree with. Be concerned. Be humble. Be compassionate. Do not be angry. Do not lie to. Do not grumble with. Give preference to. Be at peace with, sing to, be of the same mind, comfort, be kind to, live in peace with, carry one another's burdens. Do you hear all that? I mean, th- th- think, of, think of how awesome, right? And, and I don't want to say this as if it's not happening. So think of how awesome life is when you feel these things happening 
in your life and people are doing these for you. But also imagine how awesome it is to see yourself grow in doing this for others and watch others grow in doing all of those things for you. That's pretty awesome. I mean, every single person in this room has burdens over their head that are kind of fluttering probably in and out of your mind this whole time that I'm up here. Everybody in this room has real burdens that really hurt and that are actually heavy. Think of what a gift it is that God says, I don't want you to live on your own. I want to put you in community centered in Jesus so that those burdens don't just have to be shouldered by you all the time, but that they can be carried by others. Right? Think of the pain that's hit your life over the last year or the triumph that's hit your life over the last year that you've got to share with one another. Right? That's this happening. And so what God is showing us is he's showing us that the gospel puts us in a special covenant with him, but it also puts us in a special covenant with one another in the context of the church. And one of the reasons he does that is because I really think one of the main ways God wants you to experience his love is through the messy and covenantal relationships of the church community. That God's love becomes tangible in a real way when you hit a pain point in life and there's somebody there to actually sit on the couch next to you and cry with you. God's love becomes tangible to you in a special way when you get that job that you've been praying for and you can hop on the phone and talk to that person and they're more excited than you are. And you realize, I belong. I have a home among a group of people. God's love becomes tangible to you in a real way when your quirks and your foibles and all your idiosyncrasies are out and about in community and people love you and they don't roll their eyes at you and they just say, oh, that's our Timmy or whoever, right? And they just, they just love you for who you are. That's the gift that God wants to give us in the church. The church is supposed to be the place where that happens the most because at the center of the church is grace upon grace from Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, problem, the problem that happens with this um, is that we love this idea of community, but do you know what thing we hate? We hate commitment, right? Can we just be honest about that? We love the idea of community, but we don't want to really commit to it very much, right? This is, this is why sometimes you'll send a, a message or you'll want to do something with somebody and you'll kind of be like, kind of like, yeah, maybe, because you hope something better will happen, but you also don't think anything better will happen, so you're kind of like, I kind of just want to do that. But you're like, well, let me see, right? And you, you, you could be honest, have you ever done that, right? We, we love this idea of community. We don't like this idea of committing. This is why I'm so angry at Facebook. They've created an event um, option that says interested, which I'm just like, oh my goodness, we're already so noncommittal. Now I can just say I'm interested. Like, I'm interested in everything. What does that ever mean, right? Like, this doesn't help anybody, right? But we love this idea of community. We don't like this idea of commitment, which means it's really hard for us to live out these one another's. Unless we stop and say, I see the gospel. I see how Christ has done this for me. I see this vertical reality of this special relationship that God has put me in, this grace that he's given. And now I get to work that out horizontally among my brothers and sisters in Jesus and among all people, but in particular among this family community of broken sinners who have had their sins remembered no more. We get to work that out in a special way. That's the gift that Jesus gives us in the context of the church community. Now, one of the ways that this gets to be worked out that I think is really, really special and really important and something that we're going to try to that we're going to roll out later this year is is through actually the context of church membership. 
something I'm really excited about. Church membership is actually a way that you get to do these one another's in a special way. Because guess what? How many of you want to love all people? All of you. How many of you have the capacity to love all people? None of <laughs> Corey. Again, come up here, man. Come on, dude. Get me out of here. I'm done. I'm fired. Okay? Right? We want to love all people. We don't have the capacity to love all people. And when we try to love all people and we can't love all people, we, sometimes, if you're like me, you'll end up doing almost nothing. And what church membership does, and church membership, it, depending on how you've experienced that, that can be an in or an out thing. I don't think that's what the Bible describes it or, or just, uh, describes it as. What church membership is, it's a way to say, okay, I know at the very least I'm loving these people. At the very least, I got I to gotta seriously love these people. And they got to love me. We're committed to each other in a special way. I'm in. And it allows this context for doing all of the 47 one another's. It says, man, if I'm not doing the 47 one another's with Aaron, I know there's a problem. I can know that clear as day. Whereas sometimes without that container, you're just like, the one another's, yeah, wave to somebody. Like I kind of, you know, kind of, I'm not robbing any, like you just would just kind of wash them away. But Jesus really wants us to be family. And especially for us as a new church, we're growing. So it's like, man, I want to do the one another's with everybody that ever comes in here on Sunday. But do you know how many people come in here on Sundays? Sometimes they're here every once in a while. You're like, how am I? I want to love you. But I only see you. But I only see you sometimes. How do I love you? How do I care for you? Do you know what for me? Do you know what the charge is on me from the Bible? It's to shepherd and care for you as one who will give an account to God. An account to God. It's not... That's not the thing that gets me incredibly excited about what I do, right? So that means at least on my end, I'm like, man, I got to know who am I giving an account to God for because I want to love them as best as I can. And what's beautiful about membership doesn't create an in and out. It creates ownership. It creates a way to get developed. It creates a way to become leader. It creates all of these things. But it at the very least creates a way to say, man, I'm loving you. You're loving me. And I got to do these 47 things with you. You can't pay your bills. I got to make sure you can pay your bills. You need somebody to teach you to drive. I'm going to love you by teaching you to drive. Hop in my Camry. Right. We know that we got to care for one another. These are real things in our church. Like there's people who don't know how to drive. I'm like, we got to teach these cats how to drive. Right. <laughs> we got to love one another. We got to do this. Right. And so this is the beauty of this covenant community that Jesus is forming through the gospel. Right? I want you to see this. I want you to be excited about this. I want you to see this as a beautiful thing that you have the opportunity to step into. Right? And it's not just for when you're here at Redeemer. This is for wherever God would take you, that Jesus has called you into a covenant relationship with him. And out of that, it flows horizontally into a covenant relationship with his people where you do the one another's with them. You do them with all people. But in particular, you've got to do them with his people because they're your people and they're going to do them with you. So I want to bring you back to this idea of covenant. I know this is a lot of stuff, but I want to bring you back to this idea of covenant. So we're talking about how we do it horizontally, but the news, the news flash is we're going to fail one another in that. The news flash is we're going to let one another down in that. But the good news is, well, we'll fail in the horizontal aspect of working out covenant relationship and covenant commitment and covenant love and covenant care. The good news is that vertically, Jesus will not fail us. Jesus has not failed us. 
right? The good news is you, I think that real attachment theory is real. I think that actually matters. I can look at people's lives. I can look at my life and see how I'm scarred from being abandoned in certain ways, how I've been hurt from not being cared for in certain ways and not being committed to in certain ways. But do you know what? The care and the commitment of Christ through the gospel has brought redemption into my life, first by restoring me to God and pressing me deeply into that relationship and growing me in transformation. And that is the good news of the gospel that we have extended to us, that we have delivered to us through the work of Jesus Christ that puts us in a vertical covenant relationship with God. And then we get to flesh that out, let that flow out, let that overflow into loving one another well in covenant community. It's the gift that comes to us from the gospel. 